Good morning again. It's good to see all you guys today. And I'm excited to wrap up our series, uh, Church, A Moving Story. We've been talking through the book of Acts uh, for the last seven weeks. That's right. And uh, we are wrapping up that uh, today. Next week, just want to give you a heads up. We're going to uh, have our, our senior service. Justin Pollock will be giving the message that day, uh, talking about generations and how we work together. Um, it's a really helpful conversation. So hopefully you'll be here for that and tune in and bring a friend uh, for that. But today our goal is to talk about where we find ourselves in this story of the book of Acts. I think this is something that we all try to do as, as humans. We try to find ourselves in the story. Those of you that are, are familiar with uh, social media and the quizzes, do you, you know that you can, you can take a test that tells you which uh, Friends character you are, in case you're, you're, you're wondering about you know, that Friends show, or you can, you can figure out which uh, Toy Story character you are, you can do these. Why, why do we do these things? First of all, because it's there. But I think it's, there's something, we wanna find ourselves in this story. We wanna, you read a book and you look for, who do you connect with? You watch a movie and you think like, I can relate to that person. We look to put ourselves in the story. Now, we even do this with history. I think history is a way of helping locate us, our, our time and place, in the big picture of what's been going on in the world since the beginning of human history. This is why history books are written, and this is why we read biographies and, and histories about things that have happened in the past, is we're, we're trying to locate ourselves in the story of what's been going on in the world. This is why we do family reunions, uh, you guys do family reunions still? I know uh, it seemed like it used to be a lot more popular uh, a couple decades ago. Uh, my family, we, we don't do a lot of family reunions. We have a really small family, actually. Uh, we don't have a lot of, I have four total cousins. That's all, that's all the cousins I have, four. Um, and so we have kind of a small family, but I remember going to family reunions when I was a kid and uh, not appreciating them <laughs> because I just got tired of all the, uh, I'm just gonna call them, old people, because at the time, that's what they felt like to me. Uh, all the old people pinching my cheeks and telling me how much I had grown and uh, how I still looked like Opie. So uh, that was fun. Um, but I appreciate them more now, at least the idea of them, because I like the idea of locating myself in my family's history and my story of the people who have come before. This is why we do Ancestry.com and DNA testing and genealogies is we're, we're trying to locate ourselves in this long line of people. Where do we come from and what were the people like who, who got us to where we are today? This is a big part of what, what humans are trying to do. And so when it comes to our faith and understanding who we are spiritually, what, are, what is our spiritual ancestry? What is our spiritual DNA? Where does it come from? Well, it, it comes from the book of Acts. Is, it's kind of where it starts. And so what I want us to do today is locate ourselves in this story of the book of Acts and find out how we are a part of the continuation of this story. I told you last week that we were going to be in Acts 29 this week. How many of you looked up Acts 29 to try to get ahead and you found that there's no Acts 29? It ends in 28. And you thought that was a mean trick. Uh, for the preacher to play, or he doesn't know that there's not 29 chapters and he's kind of an idiot. Uh, so one of, the, one of the other of those is true. But we just believe that the, the book of Acts sort of ends with an ellipsis, like there's, there's more. This story isn't over at the end of, of chapter 28. And we believe that we are living in Acts 29 now. And so what does that mean? How do we connect ourselves to these people that have come before. Because I think sometimes it's really easy for us to read the Bible and think about Bible times and Bible people and Bible places as 
a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, and it doesn't have anything to do with us because we don't speak the language they spoke and we don't live the same kind of lives they live and we don't live in the same kind of culture. But these are our spiritual ancestors. This is our spiritual DNA, and we need to locate ourselves in this story. So we're gonna start uh, back at the beginning, Acts chapter one, verse eight, where we find the thesis statement for the book of Acts. Uh, This is Jesus right before he's gonna ascend into heaven and his disciples are there and he's speaking to them for the last time. And here's, here's what Jesus says. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. That's the marching orders. And then the rest of the book of Acts is the disciples of Jesus living out this command. In chapter two, they receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on them just like Jesus said they would. And then they begin to witness to the life and works and death and resurrection of Jesus in Jerusalem and Judea and all Samaria, and they begin to take this message to the end of the earth. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, like, where are we, is this this story part of our story? We've said from the beginning of this series that the book of Acts is about the Holy Spirit moving through the church to advance the kingdom, right? The Holy Spirit moves through the church to advance the kingdom. So what did that look like then, and what does it look like now? Well, as the Holy Spirit moved through the church from the very beginning in Acts chapter two on the day of Pentecost, and Peter preaches, and 3,000 people are saved, I mean, we, we go from the beginning of that chapter, there are 120 Jewish disciples in this room in the temple complex. That's pretty much it. That's all of the church right there, 120 Jewish disciples. By the end of the day, on the day of Pentecost, there are 3,120 <laughs> disciples, all Jews, uh, in Jerusalem. By the end of the book of Acts, this is maybe 35 years later, there are thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of Jesus followers all over the Greek and Roman world, churches in dozens of cities, including major metropolitan areas like Ephesus and Corinth and Philippi. And we believe there's even a church in Rome. By the end of the book of Acts, there's a church in Rome. the the center of the known world at that time. So these 120 Jewish disciples who were there on that day began to do exactly what Jesus told them. And when they obey him, the Holy Spirit works through them and thousands of people are brought into relationship with their creator and their father through Jesus, through the message of the disciples. So that's what happened then. So since then, what has been happening? Has the church continued to grow? Well, we would say yes, At this point, as far as we know, there are about 2 billion Jesus followers on the planet. I know we throw out a lot of big numbers. Sometimes the numbers get so big that we can't really understand what they are, but 2 billion Jesus followers on the planet is a lot of people who have said that Jesus is their Lord and Savior. So the Holy Spirit has continued from Acts 28 to today to work through the church to advance the kingdom of God. And he is continuing to do this beyond today as well. So we're gonna get into that here in a moment. So what we need to decide is, are we in this story? Is this story our story? What connects us? How much of this responsibility for bearing witness to Jesus to the end of the earth is my responsibility, is your responsibility? Is this something that's really just for preachers or missionaries or evangelists? Or is this a call for all who call Jesus Lord? So we're gonna ask some questions to hopefully get us to an answer. Uh, 
Are we included in the story of Acts? So question number one is, was Jesus speaking to all disciples in Acts 1.8? And then also we would say Matthew 28, the great commission, go into all the world and make disciples. Was he speaking to all believers everywhere for all time? Or was he only speaking to the people who were there and listening at the time? Well, I think we have some evidence right here in the book of Acts uh, to help us answer this question. So we see that the apostle Paul becomes a great missionary uh, who is carrying the message of Jesus to the end of the earth as far as he can. Was Paul there when Jesus spoke to the disciples in Acts 1? No, Paul wasn't there. Paul was training to be a Pharisee at the time, going by the name of Saul. Paul spent a few good years of his life trying to end Christianity and, and wipe it out. So he was not there. But when Paul makes Jesus Lord, he begins to live as though this command was intended for him as well. And he trains uh, Timothy, his uh, protege, and his, he calls him his son in the faith to do the same thing. Timothy wasn't there either, but Timothy lives as though this command was for him as well. We see other people in the New Testament. Just for an example, Priscilla and Aquila, um, a married couple who uh, we believe were from Rome, but they became Jesus followers. And they weren't there when Jesus gave the command in Acts 1.8 uh, or Matthew 28. But they lived as though this command applied to them. And we, we are the extension of a long line of disciples and Jesus followers who are living as though this command applies to us just as much as it did to the people who were standing there when Jesus gave it the first time. The second question is, has the good news of Jesus reached to the end of the earth? Because if the good news of Jesus has reached to the end of the earth, then check, mission accomplished, we're done, and we're off the hook, right? So has that happened? You can do some quick research online and find out some answers on your own, but I use a, a, pro, a program called the Joshua Project that sort of tracks the spread of Christianity across the globe. And uh, they look at, this, there are 16,000 identified people groups on the planet. People groups are, are people with their own language and culture. And of the 16,000 people groups, they have identified a category they call unengaged, unreached people groups. So an unengaged, unreached people group is a people group that have no churches, no Christians, and no missionaries trying to reach people with the gospel. And there is an estimated 3,000 people groups that fall into that category. 3,000 people groups still on the planet who have no churches, no Christians, no missionaries trying to reach them with the gospel. So has the gospel reached to the end of the earth? No, I would say I would say no. I would say it's possible that the gospel hasn't reached to the end of your neighborhood. That it's possible there are people who live down the street from you that have never really heard the good news about Jesus proclaimed in a, in a way that's clear and compelling. There are people who live down the street from you that have never seen it lived out in a compelling way. They know that there are such things as Christians, but they've never seen one truly living out what it means to be a follower of Jesus. It's possible the gospel hasn't even reached to the end of your street, much less the end of the earth. So we're not off the hook. We can't take a pass on this. Uh, last question in this category is, has Jesus returned yet? We know that all of this kind of comes to an end when Jesus comes back. So has Jesus come back? If so, we're miss we missed it. <laughs> we're missing something really important. I think we would know. I think we would know if Jesus had come back. So he hasn't come back. The ends of the earth haven't been reached with the gospel. 
And we have clear evidence that we, if, if we're followers of Jesus, if we claim Jesus as Lord, we are a part of this mission to take the gospel to the end of the earth. So let's talk a little bit about how we have some similarities with um, the Christians that we read about in the book of Acts. It's easy to see the differences, right? It's easy to see how they are different. They spoke a different language. They lived in a different culture in a different time 2,000 years ago different government that was over them, different ways that people made a living, different ways that people related to each other. It's easy to see the differences. Let's, let's talk about the similarities. What do we have in common with these early Christians? First and foremost, and maybe the most important thing, is that we have the same Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit that worked through the church in Acts wants to work through the church today. The same Holy Spirit, what Paul says to the church in Rome is that the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. That's access to a lot of power. I think we scratch our heads about this because when we read Acts and then we sort of look around, we kind of go, I don't see it. I don't see the Holy Spirit at work in the same way that he was at work 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem. Well, what's the problem there? Why is that? We'll circle back to that. That's an important question. But we have the same Holy Spirit. I think we face opposition that is similar to what the church faced 2,000 years ago. It's comforting to know when we see conflict in the church today. I don't know, maybe you've never seen conflict in the church. Maybe you think that uh, church people get along perfectly and there are never any disagreements among church people or church leaders. Is that what you thought? No, you know better. When we face conflict uh, internally in the church today, it's really comforting to read back and go, okay, they face conflict internally as well. Some of it on a much more serious level. I mean, when you read Acts 5 and about Ananias and Sapphira and you kind of go, well, we haven't seen that, so that's good. So they faced internal conflict just like we do. They faced external conflict. That was people outside the church. I mean, we talked about Saul when he started out. His, his mission was to end Christianity and he went around putting Christians in jail and even approving of execution of Christians. And so we, we face persecution as well. There, there are things about our culture that make it really difficult if you really wanna live a Jesus-centered life. It's not easy and it's not socially acceptable in a lot of ways. The way that we're called to speak truth and, and grace is not popular. So we face similar opposition internally and externally. I think we have that in common with the early church. Um, and I think that we find that we're stronger together, just like they were. That when the church stuck together, when they got on the same page about what they were supposed to be doing, um, you see this after the Jerusalem council when they had a big disagreement about what to do with the Gentiles that were coming into the church. When they got on the same page about that, the, the church was stronger as a result and began to see a lot more converts, a lot more people saying yes to Jesus um, because they were united. And we see, we see the same thing today. When, the, when our church stands together, when, when the church in our community unites, when the church uh, in our nation and across the globe is united, and you think, well, what are, what are all the different churches in the world could be united about? Well, we're united about Jesus, that he, he's the way, he's the only way. And Everybody's better with Jesus at the center. We're united about that. And when the church is united, God works and we're much stronger together. I think what we see is uh, in the early church, and this is, uh, I refer to how we read about how the Holy Spirit worked and we look around and we don't actually see the Holy Spirit working in the same way. And uh, one of the things I think we need to pay attention to is that in the book of Acts, obedience 
of the disciples opened the door for the Spirit to work. When the disciples were obedient to uh, the words of Jesus, his commands, then the Holy Spirit said, okay, you guys are inviting me in, I'll come in and I'll do the work. And so I, had to, I think we have to ask the question, if we're not seeing the Spirit work in our own lives or in our church, are we being obedient to the words of Jesus? Are we, are we letting him tell us how to live and what to do? Because when we're obedient, the Holy Spirit has permission, he sees that as permission to come in and do his thing. And when we're disobedient, it's sort of like a stop sign to the Holy Spirit saying, we're not, we're not interested in your help. We're not interested in what you have to offer. And so uh, we need to pay attention to obedience as well, uh, just like they did in the early church. So we have a lot of similarities, but I think it's important to note that there are some differences in our culture from the early church in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, some significant differences. Uh, and one of those is uh, the way that I think many people are walking away from Christianity now. So in, in their time, there weren't that many Christians, and so it was all influx. It was, it was new people all the time. In our day, we see people leave the church. In fact, the projections are, if we continue at the rate we're going uh, in the United States, there will be 60 million people leave the church in the next 30 years. 60 million people will leave the church in the next 30 years at the rate that we're currently going. Why is that? Why are people walking away? I think part of it is something that we have now that I don't think they had then is what we call cultural Christianity. Cultural Christianity is this idea that I can, I can be a Jesus person and not change how I live, that my life doesn't actually need to look any different from someone who's not a Jesus follower, that I can, I can be saved, I can get baptized, I can believe I'm going to heaven, but my life doesn't have to look any different than the people around me. That's cultural Christianity. I can be comfortable and safe in this culture and still believe that Jesus paid for my sins and I'm going to heaven when I die. That is a false gospel, by the way. It's not true. It's all of the benefits of knowing God and none of the costs. And I believe what's happened as, as this cultural Christianity has developed in the United States and especially in the Midwest and the Bible Belt, it's, it's prevalent, it's all around us. I believe what's happened is that people are starting to wake up to the reality that if my life doesn't have to look any different from the life of a non-believer, then saying that I follow Jesus and going to church and reading the Bible and praying is a waste of time. So people are walking away from the church in droves because it doesn't mean anything anymore to call yourself a Christian. If your life is not gonna look any different, what's the point? Why give up your Sunday mornings? Why read this book that sometimes you don't understand? Why pray to a God that you can't see? If your life doesn't look any different from the person down the street who never goes to church, never reads the Bible, never prays, what's the point? And I think people are waking up to this reality. What we wish they would do is say, maybe my life should look different from everyone else's. But what most people are doing is saying, if there's no difference, what's the point? And they're walking away from the church. That's a difference that we have that we need to face now in the church I don't think they had to face then. So um, if, if this is our story, if we can locate ourselves here, we believe that Jesus' command to take the gospel to the end of the earth is for all of us, then when and how does this story end? It's important to know that the story you get to has an end. That's why uh, when you, you read a book, you know there's a last chapter. 
right? And as you read a book, every good story has some things in it that make us uncomfortable. And you're like, well, I wish this didn't happen to this person. I kind of like that person. But you know there's a last chapter and you're pretty sure in the last chapter things are gonna turn out okay. Good stories end that way, (laughs) right? And so what's the last chapter of our story look like? What's gonna happen? So here's, here's how this was addressed in Acts in the very beginning, um, right after Jesus gave the command uh, to go uh, take his uh, witness about him to the end of the earth, then he ascends into heaven on a cloud, right? Something that these guys have never seen before. This guy just floats away into the sky. So uh, a couple angels show up and here's, here's what they say to the disciples in this moment, Acts 1, 11. Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So they're just standing there like in awe of what just happened. And the angels come by and say, what are you guys doing? You look kind of goofy just standing here, staring up into the sky. Didn't Jesus just give you a job to do? Why don't you get to work? Why Why don't you be about the thing that Jesus just gave you to do instead of just standing here looking up into the sky. Parents, you all know this feeling. You give your kids a, a job and then you look at them five minutes later and they're just kind of, you know, and you're like, what? Well, I just talk, just, but most of the time they have their earbuds in. They didn't hear what you said anyway. So that's how that works now. So the disciples are standing there. They didn't, they didn't, they're not doing anything. The angel said, hey, he's coming back. This is really important. He's coming back. This, this idea that Jesus is coming back was intended to give them hope and to give them a sense of urgency about the mission. Like, he's, you, you have a limited amount of time to get this job done. He just told you, you've got to take the gospel to the end of the earth. Do you guys have any idea how big the earth is? They had no clue. But he said, there's, there's urgency here. He's coming back, but there's also hope because when he comes back, he's going to make all things new. There's a new creation coming with Jesus when he returns. And the new creation, friends, is gonna be, I mean, it's just gonna blow your mind. It's gonna be amazing. It's gonna be so much better. We'll get to that in a minute. I like this quote from John Maxwell. He says, where there is no hope in the future, there is no power in the present. Where there's no hope in the future, there's no power in the present. This is, this is the, the idea of a, a, a death row inmate. There's nothing to look forward to. It's just depression and despair. And there's no hope in the future. There's no power in the present. When we, when we have nothing to look forward to, I mean, some of you, the reason why you stuck with your job so long is because of the hope of retirement, right? <laughs> that hope hanging out in front of you is what kept you going. Something good is down the road. If I can just get to the last chapter, it's gonna be okay, right? That hope in the future is what draws us forward. It gives us this sense of urgency and helps us continue to stay positive And this is all over the New Testament. I just selected a couple of verses that I think will help us uh, remember this. 1 John 2.28, John writes uh, to the believers, and now little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. John says, Jesus is coming back and I want you to be excited about it, not afraid of it. Jesus is coming back. I want you to be excited about it not afraid of it. When you think about the idea of Jesus returning, like if he were to show up just right here, right now, are you excited about that idea? Most of you are like, yeah, I'm in church, so I feel pretty good about it right now. What about Monday morning? Would you be excited if Jesus showed up Monday morning or Wednesday afternoon or at about 11 p.m. Friday? 
Like, would you be excited then if Jesus showed up? Or would you be ashamed and afraid? John says, live in such a way with Jesus. He says, abide in him. This is Jesus at the center. That the idea of Jesus coming back excites you. It doesn't fill you with fear. This is what Paul says to the believers in Corinth. uh, 1 Corinthians 11, 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Paul's talking about communion, what we just did a few minutes ago. And he's pointing out something Matthew pointed out a couple weeks ago when, in our communion time, that communion is not just about looking back at what Jesus did, it's looking forward at what he's going to do. And Paul says, every time you gather and you share in this, the bread and the cup, you're saying to each other, don't forget, he's coming back. And, and we're excited about that. This is our hope, this is what we're leaning into. So there are a couple of reasons why I think we, we don't think a lot about the return of Jesus and we don't get real excited about it. And these are some things that we see in the New Testament as well. So there's one uh, approach to thinking about the return of Jesus. And that is uh, what I just call, call kind of the, the huddle up and hunker down approach. It's, it's this idea that we, we look at the world around us, the world outside of the church, and we go, man, what a mess. What a mess, just full of evil and pain and suffering and corruption and cancer and just all these bad things are out there and we can't do anything about it. We're powerless. So the best thing we can do is just huddle up and hunker down. Just Christians stick together. <laughs> we, need to, we need to just stay around Christians. We need to only talk to Christians and only hire Christians and only hang out with Christians because we're, we're, we're the holy huddle and we just gotta hang on till Jesus gets back. Well, this was happening in Thessalonica and Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica and he's really upset with them because some people thought Jesus was coming back any day and so they quit their jobs and quit working and they started just mooching on the people around because they're like, hey, no big deal. Jesus is, he'll probably be here tomorrow. So why, why go to work? And Paul says, no, 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 go, go to work. You need to live your life as though um, Jesus is not coming back until after you're gone but he could anytime, but you need to live as though he's not back yet because he's not. So be about the business. Stop looking into heaven and waiting. Go and do the work of the ministry. Uh, I think another approach that that, uh, people often take is to look at the world around us and our own lives and go, this life is actually not that bad. Like I... I want to go to heaven, but I don't want to go today. You heard that? I think that's a country song. Is that something? It should be if it's not. I want to go to heaven, but I don't want to go today. Why? Why would we not want to go today? Because, hey, this is pretty fun. There's a lot of fun things to do. I mean, we've got Amazon next day delivery and Netflix and food trucks. And I mean, come on, this life can be pretty comfortable and fun and enjoyable. And I think we make a a big mistake in sometimes thinking, maybe heaven's not much better than what I'm experiencing right now. Why would I be in a hurry to go when I've got such a good life now? First of all, that's a big misunderstanding of what the new creation is gonna be like. Yeah, I mean, there are definitely some things to enjoy in this life. But we also live in a world that is full of evil and sin and illness and death, and oppression, and injustice. And the new creation will have none of that. We live in a world of broken relationships, and selfishness, and dishonesty, and all the things that tear us apart. In the new creation, there's none of that. 
Friends, if, if, if we fall into thinking that maybe this life is pretty good and I, I'm, not in, I'm not in too big of a hurry for Jesus to come back, we've missed the promise that God has held out in front of us of the new heaven and the new earth and what it's gonna be like when God's rule and reign is absolute. It's gonna be better than anything we can imagine. But this was happening too in, in the New Testament. Paul writes to Timothy about this guy named Demas in 2 Timothy 4.10. He says, for Demas in love with this present world has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. He said, this guy is so comfortable here that he's lost all his motivation for being a part of the kingdom of God. So the correct posture toward new creation is to live in the tension of the already but not yet kingdom. This, this seems like a paradox. Jesus said, the kingdom of God is here. And he said, the kingdom of God is coming and you're going to enter the kingdom someday, but you're already in the kingdom if you're in the family. It's a little confusing, but the reality is the kingdom of God is here. It's just not everywhere yet. The new creation, the kingdom of God will be everywhere. But right now it's here. It's, it's actually here. This, the gathering of the followers of Jesus are the representation of the kingdom of God on earth. And until everyone has called Jesus Lord, we're not there yet. And so we live in this tension of we get to enjoy the kingdom of God, but we also have to be a part of the world where God's rule and reign are not absolute and people don't care what God thinks. So we have to live in this tension. So how do we do that? Where do we find ourselves in this story? If we believe that the command is for us, the great commission is for us, we have the same Holy Spirit, we have a church family to work together to train together with? Where do we find ourselves? What, what do we need to do? I want to offer just three uh, things for you to think about that, that maybe you don't think about a lot. Uh, maybe they're action steps for you. Maybe these are things you need to engage in and do. Maybe it's something you just need to build into your life a little more that you haven't thought about much. So the first is to make disciples. I mean, we read the Great Commission, right? Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples. If we believe that command is for everyone and not just for those 12 guys that were standing there at the time, then that means Jesus has commanded you to do what? Make disciples. And some of, some of us are like, well, that sounds great, but I don't really know how to make disciples. And that's, that's, that's the church's fault. That's our fault. That's our job to train and teach. But I understand the feeling. <clears throat> I went to Mexico <clears throat> many years ago when I was in student ministry, I took a group of high schoolers and we show up at this camp in the middle of Mexico and the director of the camp <clears throat> came to us. We thought we were there to like play games with kids, but the first day the director of the camp comes to us and he, he gives us a bunch of two by fours and saws and hammers and nails. And he says, you guys are gonna build our bunk beds for our campers to sleep in for the week. And we're like, great, just show us how. And I turned around and he was gone. So <clears throat> all these high schoolers are looking at me going, surely our fearless youth leader knows how to build bunk beds. <laughs> they were about to be disappointed. I had no idea, I've never built a bunk bed. I've, I've used bunk beds, so I thought, <clears throat> how hard can it be? So we kind of put our heads together, we came up with a design and we started building and we built eight bunk beds in the first day. And we found out that we were supposed to sleep in them that night. So we, we uh, we slept in the bunk beds for the, until the ones that fell apart fell apart and then some people ended up on the ground and, and we didn't realize there were no mattresses and so you're supposed to, supposed to put your sleeping bag on this and so we had these two by four. Can you imagine putting your sleeping bag on a row of two by fours that are spread out about every 10 inches? The most uncomfortable thing. You can, it was just torture. 
We had no idea what we were doing. We were given a job, but we weren't told how to do it. And I think that's how a lot of Christians feel when we say, go and make disciples. You're like, sure. How do you do that? That's the church's job. But you have to understand too that the training for disciple making doesn't happen here on Sunday mornings. Training for disciple making happens in microchurches. It happens when you're serving on a team. It happens when you uh, go through 5-2 training. It happens when you get involved in the lives of people who are doing this. And we have a lot of people in our church that are making disciples and you just gotta find them. Or come to us and say, hey, I wanna learn and we'll get you in a group, we'll get you into some training. So the training is available, but it doesn't happen here on Sunday mornings. If this is your only participation with the church family, then you're not gonna get the training to make disciples that you need. And you're gonna feel like the teenagers told to make bunk beds and you don't know how to make bunk beds. So. Um, so this is what we're supposed to do. The command is for everyone. It's our job uh, to invite people to life with Jesus and then to teach them how to follow Jesus. And we need training for that. So let's learn together. That's the goal. The second thing I think we need to think about more often and maybe build some new habits into our lives is just the very simple command to obey the commands of Jesus. Jesus said in the Great Commission, uh, make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then teach them to obey. Teach them to obey. So if we're gonna teach somebody to obey, we must be obeying ourselves, right? We can't teach somebody to do something that we're not doing. That doesn't make sense. So teach them to obey. So don't get overwhelmed by the idea of obeying like thousands of commands. Jesus boiled it down to two for us. Love God with our heart, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you can obey those two commands, you're gonna be okay. Everything else sort of falls under those two. <clears throat> so the question we need to ask ourselves is does Jesus have the authority in my life to tell me how to live? Have I given Jesus the authority to tell me how to live my life? To tell me what to do with my time, with my money, with my talent, with my resources, to tell me how to treat the people around me that I work with, that I live with? Does Jesus have the authority to tell me what's right and what's wrong? If our answer to that is no, or I don't know, or sometimes, then we've got some work to do on just the simple act of obeying the commands of Jesus. Remember what we said, that the Holy Spirit sees our obedience as an open invitation to go to work, right? If the Holy Spirit sees our obedience as an open invitation to go to work, and if we're not obeying, we're not gonna see the Spirit work, right? So we've gotta take this pretty seriously. And then the last thing I think we need to think more about is anticipating the return of Jesus. When we, when we believe and we think about that Jesus is coming back, it does a couple of things for us. It gives us hope there is an end and the ending is gonna be great. This last, the last chapter is gonna be amazing. There is an end and it's coming. But it also gives us a sense of urgency. Because Jesus is coming back, then my neighbors who don't know Jesus need to know Jesus and my friends who don't know Jesus need to know Jesus and my <clears throat> relatives who don't know Jesus need to know Jesus because he is coming back and we don't know when. <clears throat> so there's an urgency and a hope associated with anticipating the return of Jesus. I, I love how John ends Revelation with the words of Christ. He says, behold, I'm coming soon. And John says to what? What does he say to that? Amen. Come Lord Jesus. I can't wait for Jesus to come back. In the meantime, you and I have some work to do. Make disciples, obey, look forward to his return. When we do this, we will be united like Jesus prayed for in John 17 and the world will know 
the church will be a, a city on a hill that attracts people to Jesus like moths to a flame. That's what we're here for. So I just ask you to pray about this with me as we close today and um, ask the Holy Spirit if there's something that you need to be convicted of, uh, as a step you need to take, if there's something that you need to pass on to another person in your life that you would find the courage and boldness to do that. Uh, let's find ourselves in this story. Let's, let's live out this spiritual ancestry that we've read about in the book of Acts and let it impact how we go about our lives today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for giving us the example of these early believers to drawing us in to this story that you've written and you've invited us to be a part of. And it's an incredible invitation and gift. And my prayer, Father, is that you would use us, that as, as we obey and we make disciples and we put Jesus at the center of our lives, God, that you would, you would let us see the spirit work. You would let us see the spirit change hearts and lives. All for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand? We're going to sing here um, just for a moment. <clears throat> and I, I just want to invite you, if, 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 if there's some kind of step of faith you feel like you need to take, um, you can reach out to us. Uh, I'll be out in the lobby afterwards, or you can uh, connect with us through our, our texting service. If you text respond to um, the number that may show up on the screen here in a minute. Um, if you want to reach out to one of us about a step of faith. If you feel like you want to get baptized, you want to talk about that, or you want to um, be a part of the church family or get involved in, in a microchurch or something like that, please reach out and take, take that step. Don't, don't put it off. Um, but as we close and sing, uh, just uh, take this prayer that we prayed earlier to the Father and let's, um, let's leave with that in our hearts.